committed to sharing cultural diversity through food. Welcome to El Paso Food Voices. Welcome, I'm your host, Stephanie Bullock, for today's episode. El Paso Food Voices explores the local food landscape by gathering food-based stories from El Paso's residents. El Paso Food Voices offers a taste of a living history that speaks of ethnic and racial cross-cultural connections. If we're what we eat, we're committed to highlight the food-based culture and history of this city. In this spirit, let's begin our conversation on art and food and food and art with our guest and nationally known artist, originally from St. Petersburg, Russia, who lives and works in El Paso, Lyuba Titovitz. Of course, I think it's uh, an amazing story that we came 27 years ago to El Paso. And uh, of course, even America changed since then, but the Russia changed a lot since then as well. And when I'm talking about Russia or refer to Russia, it's still my Russia, very different country, quarter of the century ago. Mm. Uh, because we left right at the time when it started changing. And we didn't see what happened after that. But I even could tell you with the university where we were studying and the professors we had and the school we had, will start changing right after our generation, which kind of sad, although on the big scale it's exciting that, yes, it's very kind of liberal and open, and then the schools everywhere are kind of the same, mm -hmm. but you're losing that kind of army structure and knowledge how you're receiving it. So I would say we were the last generation who received this kind of education. And this university was in St. Petersburg, correct? Uh, we both, yeah, met each other at the university, and we studied at the university together. But um, my husband, who is an artist and well-known artist, uh, he was born in Siberia. And that's another very sad and big story about Russian people and how they suffer and why somebody will end it up in Siberia. And speaking of food, although he is 6'5", he ate his first apple when he was age 9, when he came to the St. Petersburg. Oh, okay. And you met at the university at St. Petersburg, and you both were artists already by the time you met? Um... You started at the university, and of course, you learned the craft. And yes, we both were studying art, and we had a very good teachers. And again, we had a very different schooling because I started my first art classes when I was five years old. And my parents, who were engineers, they saw that I liked to draw and paint. So they took me to the private teacher, who then later took me to the special art school for children. And then I go through all these years through some schooling where what a wonderful thing was that the structure was the same. So you're just adding more to the same structure, which was wonderful. But then with my husband, only when he was 17, he suddenly realized that, oh, this is something what he loves to do. But he was lucky enough that he had a great teacher who guide him and help him to be the real artist. Yeah, I noticed you two have very different aesthetics um, when you um, paint and what you use as inspiration. And uh, was it at a very young age that you started um, being 
interested in uh, still lifes, particularly food and um No, I would say uh, that really I had uh, lots of fantasy pictures doing in my childhood. And maybe it'll be some wonderful table with food and it'll be a big wedding celebration or some other celebration and the food, of course, will be part of it. But I always were interested in relation between people, the characters, and that's what I paint a lot. But when you go to school, this is what you paint. You paint still life because this is something what's simple to arrange and you do something from reality. Okay. So when you started going to school is when you started getting experience with arranging still lifes and using food as uh, uh, inspiration for your artwork. I would say probably it took time and when I become more mature and maybe when I came more to America, I start go less in my dreamy wonder world and start to do more reality. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's definitely dictated by market. So I did, for example, lots of pictures uh, cover for the Bruce Nairing concert for at least uh, 25 years. And that definitely a uh, mystery and fantasy and my fantasy about music. It has pretty much nothing with reality. I see. But if I'm going to the gallery, and we have lots of galleries around the country, well, I won't be able to present something like this because it'll be for very exclusive, very small group of people who would appreciate something like that. And then in comparison, the still life with fruits and flowers, and they're so lively and alive. Oh, that would speak to much bigger group of people. So that makes a big demand of what really you're doing. Well, I do notice that in your paintings, even with still life, you do tend to still have this like sort of fantasy world aspect to your your artwork a lot. Uh, I particularly enjoy your um, paintings of the uh, was it Russian Easter festivals, and and I I thought the colors were very beautiful. So. Thank you so much. Yes, I still cannot let it go. So one way or another, I incorporate this idea, but I'm trying to do it on more kind of grown-up uh, way. So it doesn't look like this is an illustration for the children's book. It's more kind of serious idea. So I could give you one of the examples. I love to paint pomegranates, and I'm doing this a lot. And I love to paint my garden as well. And yes, I'm lucky enough, I have lots of fruits of pomegranates. And it's a seasonal thing, but it's something so fascinating. And I could put them, they all have character for me. They all have meaning for me. And for example, I did the portrait of my daughter in the setting of my garden, where I have all kind of exotic and strange color plants and she's holding pomegranate, and I call this painting Persephone. So it goes to the Greek mythology, but really it's something which is very relevant today, mm -hmm. how six seeds could change and turn things around. Uh, so I would say it's always still present in my work, and I guess the more I read, the more I learn, the more I could really do with it. So one of the fascinating quality of the pomegranate 
that when I saw it first time, first of all, it's a very beautiful tree right from the beginning, and it's beautiful in fall, and it's beautiful in summer, and any time of the year, it's really something very special to enjoy visually. But then you look at this fruit, and you see this crown, and you see that red juice, which is, looks like a blood, and then you learn that, oh, it has the same amount of seeds as we have bones and ligaments in our body. So it really makes you feel that, oh, it's something so much more than just the fruit. Deep personal connection with it on many different levels then. Yes, yes. It's definitely every time even I'm trying to find something else, something in this thousands of years of history of this fruit, how else I could presented what really first thing is so beautiful aesthetically and then it's fascinate me that oh it's something so ancient many people think that oh it still was not an apple what uh, Eve ate that it was a pomegranate so it's something which now and it was kind of the same thousands and thousands of years ago and for me, this idea is extremely important, how I could really connect to something which is universal, which is not a kind of newspaper or article, which is good just for one day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the pomegranate is a fruit that transcends many borders. I mean, it's not native to El Paso originally. I think it originated in Iran, which is, I believe... Um, close to where the fabled uh, Garden of Eden was supposed to have been. So that all makes sense that not only does it have a a historical um, history of transcending boundaries, it also has a a mythological and uh, depending on uh, uh, what you subscribe to, even a religious aspect to it. So I I think that uh, I like the fact that it not, it's not just a food for you. It's also something that transcends so many different boundaries and borders. Um, and uh, when was the first time do you, you really came in contact with a pomegranate? You said you, you bought and ate it in Russia, correct? Yes, of course I knew what it is. And I'll tell you a funny story. Just a couple of days ago, I put a still life for my student. And one lady who is uh, originally from Pennsylvania, no, from Philadelphia, I'm sorry. And uh, she's been in El Paso a very short time. So I put this very red, odd-looking fruit, and she came to the class and she said, is this an onion? (laughs) So I, I, in that respect, yes, I knew what the pomegranate is in the very northern big city in Russia. But I never seen the tree, and that's why when we came, and I would say very much in the first year, I already saw somewhere that beautiful tree, and it was really enchanting. But then when uh, we came to this present time where we have our studio, oh, I have those trees growing in my yard. So that's a very big difference from fruit in the store. Mm-hmm. So it's not so unified. It has much more character. It's I could also have leaves, and I could break those fruits the way I want. So they all really have more, again, more something paintable quality and meaningful as well. 
Yeah, of, of course. I mean, uh, we in El Paso get all sorts of fruits here too that are not native, like the pineapple. It's, I think, mostly grown in Costa Rica now, but, um, uh, it's always interesting to see, uh, a native plant grown in a, uh, environment in which it really thrives in. So, yeah. Um, so aside from the pomegranate, uh, you said that your inspiration is, uh, as far as like still lives and food in your artwork didn't really begin until you already came to the United States and, uh, sort of decided to mature your artwork. Was there anything from native Russia that you, that, um, food or tradition that you really connected with a food tradition, like the Easter feasts or, um, any particular foods that, uh, really you connected with in your artwork at any point? I would tell you that, of course, I paint something which is meaningful for me, again, more on universal level, but I think it's very beautiful in Russia because definitely every country, every nature, uh, nation has something very exclusive and beautiful, and this is something what I could understand. So I don't paint like apple, which is a Russian apple. It's it's a universal thing. It's from everywhere, and it's a thousand years old. But, for example, I paint cups, porcelain cups, which I brought from Russia. It was not too many things which you could bring, but there was a few cups, and they were very popular in that Soviet time, and it was kind of a symbol of something very elegant and very special, and it's very deep cobalt blue with gold. Mm -hmm. It has very simple design, but it's very fine, very thin, very white porcelain. And these cups, they mean for me even like 25 years of my life. And I love to paint them because, again, aesthetically, it's very elegant and it's possible to paint. Um, for example, I have a painting which calls White Night. And right now you could see it in the History Museum because we put a few things in conjunction with the big exhibition about Russia uh, in the History Museum. And I would definitely suggest you to go and check it out. It's something very exotic and interesting. But the painting of White Nights, it's a certain time in Russia in summer when the sun never goes down. So at 1 o'clock or 2 o'clock at night, you still have sun. And why it's so fascinating as well, besides that you're like kind of losing the sense of time. Also, as far as it's so much north, that so many months you really live in kind of darkness. It's very gray. It's very humid. It's like 100% humidity. Um, it calls Venice of North, St. Petersburg. But you have uh, this suddenly this amazing time for about a month and a half, which calls White Night. And there is also different cultural events. And then there is lots of wonderful literature in Russia which would deal with the white night. So lots of romantical, lyrical things which is connect to it as well. And that's why Okaps, in my still life, with the scenery of St. Petersburg on the back and with porcelain figures and with the flowers and with the vine and books, and grapes. It's all for me kind of representing that feeling and that time and that time which I lived there and time which has, again, kind of a symbolic meaning 
for many generations already. Wow, I didn't know that. I mean, I knew the further north you got the the lighter it uh, stayed. I didn't know all in St. Petersburg there was a portion of the summer where it never got dark. Uh, that's yes, that's really amazing. And I could tell you when I went back, I forgot about this. So it was a new discovery again that it's so amazing and fascinating. Wow. That you could, yeah, keep reading wonderful literature, poetry, and walk around in the, at night the same way as you would do in the daytime. And they would have festivals during this time. Yes, there is a beautiful festival right now, which maybe exists for the last 10 years. I'm not sure about that. But it calls White, White Night, and it's organized by Gergiev, one of very famous and very good uh, conductor right now, uh, conductor of the world. So he conducts symphony, and then he invites lots of great people to perform as well. Wow, that's wow! That sounds so beautiful the way you describe it. It's so Thank you. lyrical. Yes. Thank you. Um, I hope you go sometime and enjoy it. I, I, de- I definitely. I was in England this summer and um, in the middle of the summer, and it wasn't quite to the point where it stayed light all the time. But Northern England, it was already like eleven o'clock at night. And I'm like, it's still light outside. Was going. <laughs> yeah, I've never been used to something like that. So that's that's a fascinating thing, and it's it's fascinating to know that there's all sorts of culture and art and literature and food that surround uh, uh, that aspect of, uh, you know, the local culture, the local area that you're in. And so I'm sure when you came to El Paso, um, the local culture and the, even the, like you said, the the different, like the seeing the pomegranate tree. And, and I'm sure you were, um, uh, I don't know if it came as a surprise, but I'm sure you were surprised that every summer it always got dark every single night and always got light every single morning, and it never really changed from one year to the next because we're much closer to the equator here. So, um, but uh, if you don't mind describing um, your sort of experience with coming into the El Paso culture and how that helped um, the food here, uh, of course, and also how that helped um, – maybe even in an inadvertent way, your art in some way and how that, how you developed and, and like sort of informed your aesthetic from that. I could tell you in general, my understanding that South everywhere, it's much warmer, mm-hmm. it's much brighter, and it's much spicier. And if you go to the Russian South, mm-hmm. you'll have kind of the same qualities. You might not have a chili pepper. You have something else instead, but it all will be the same kind of idea. So I would say that my art definitely got much brighter, much warmer, much more welcoming. And what I put in there is definitely when I paint from reality. It's something what I have around because that's the most comfortable way to paint. We travel a lot, and uh, when we travel, we walk around, we maybe take some pictures, but we more soak it in with our senses. We're not painting there. Very often people ask, oh, you went for a month to Maine or to Washington State. Did you paint? No, because you're really not a reporter. You cannot do this kind of thing. I mean, you can, but it doesn't make sense. It's very important that maybe you have 
really a big feeling from it. And then with all the photo pictures, with your thoughts, oh, in a few years, you finally come to the idea, to realization of how you could do it on canvas. So you need a connection uh, with the place. You need to immerse yourself with the place to be able to find uh, some sort of reason to paint. Uh, of course, you paint something which excites you. So when you ask me why I paint the fruits, well, I paint them because I love their color. So one of the things for artists, how the artists kind of react on thing or what attract the artist, it's the color. And the colors of the fruit are so unique, so beautiful, like take papaya. It's such a beautiful fruit, besides being so healthy and good for you. So, of course, I love to paint it. The same reason I love to paint flowers, because, yes, they have this amazing, beautiful shapes and colors, which is, on one hand, I could put in my studio and paint, but on the other hand, this is something which is very, very unique and very special. If you're interested in learning more about art and its inspirations, here's a wonderful option you can explore. El Paso Las Artistas Art and Fine Crafts Show, featuring many artists from El Paso, Texas, Las Cruces, New Mexico, and nationally, is an annual event held at the History Epic Rail Yard Event Center at 2201 East Mills Avenue, one of El Paso's coolest new event centers. The show usually takes place in mid to late November, in 2019, it will be November 23rd and 24th. Let's get back to our guest, Yuba Titovitz. You said uh, that you also like to paint wine bottles and wine. And El Paso has a very rich history in winemaking and vineyards. And um, wine is also another universal thing, I think, all over the world. People make some version of wine everywhere. So if... You can speak a little bit about that. It would be lovely. Yes, I could tell you it was a very fun experience for me as well. So once uh, I had one of my relatives, my American relatives through my cousin, came to me and bring in a big box with all kind of bottles. They had some kind of liquor in there, but they were probably 50 years old. And uh, he said, Oh, you know, my daddy passed away, and this is a big, heavy box with all this undrinkable stuff, and you may be the one who would have a use for it. So at first, of course, I was kind of laughing, and I didn't think that this is something what I could do. But then I set up all those bottles, and again, they have so much character, and they're so colorful, and they have all that spark and shine, and I could lit up them with different lights. So I felt, oh, this is so great. I'll do the series of work, which would call Sparkle of Night. And I would do it with big, like, scenery in the bar, and you see all of these exotic bottles. So I did this painting, and then I had it for a very long time. So my series didn't go much further. I wanted to paint more, but it didn't happen. And then I decide, okay, I'll improve this painting because it's kind of bare. It's just the bottles. So I decide to put lots of glasses in front, a different kind of glasses, shapes, colors. So it become again more paintable, richer, more interesting. 
And then I thought, oh, on the back, I put that fascinating uh, fresco from Pompeii where, remember, they're talking about the wine and Dionysius celebration. And I decided to do the copy from little portion of it. And while I was doing it, it was very interesting because I suddenly realized that the celebration is really kind of a learning experience why you shouldn't do it and why you shouldn't drink. Mm. Because when you look closely at all those figures, which at first seems so bright and so kind of active and beautiful, then you realize, no, it's really a very kind of firm story of what's going to happen with you if you drink too much. Mm -hmm. But that piece has a red background, and then those figures are kind of gold in color, so it looks very beautiful and, again, very paintable. And it's very logical to put together with the bottle because, again, that idea that, well, that was 2,000 years ago, and now I have this bottle which has some connection with what was 2,000 years ago. And um, I did that piece, and uh, I sold it right away in gallery in Charleston, South Carolina. So it's inspired me very much that I could paint more of my wonderful bottles. And I had some grapes in front. And again, luckily for me, I have a grape growing in my garden, so I could put leaves, and I could put, again, that real grape. Uh, so it becomes something bigger. And the other story was, which I think also very much fun, one lady from Las Cruces approached me, and she's a big art collector, and she has lots of our work, uh, mine and my husband's work. And she said, oh, Luba, I see that you're doing bottles so well and glass so well, so I have an idea. So she made a commission for me. And what it was, in her use... She was working in the wine company in Dallas, and she was distributing those wines or something like this will happen. And then these bottles were so meaningful to her. So every time when she did certain big advance, they gave her a bottle or a few bottles of that wine. So she was carrying those bottles all her life because that was so meaningful for her. And of course, it was not a drinkable wine, but it has this kind of memory. And then I saved her because I said, okay, you'll bring all those bottles. I paint them. And I paint some other things in that painting which meaningful to her. So for example, Mount Cristo Ray, which I could see from my studio, and some kind of little rug, and the cow bells, and something else which was important for her. And then she loves the painting. She had all her bottles in there, and she could pour this wine and throw away those heavy bottles. Okay, so she no longer had to carry around the bottles. Yes. The memory was her. And not make her family laugh at her. I think it's sweet, but yeah, um, that's that's a fascinating story. That's very lovely too. Um, uh, so, uh, do you just do you did you you started 
uh, painting wine because of the different shape and colors of the bottles. And, and because it just came to me. Mm-hmm. Yes, it just happened that somebody brought me the bottle. It's the same thing like people would bring me the flowers. And I cannot resist not painting them because they're so beautiful. On the other hand, or oh, they die so fast. It really are... Very dramatic painting. Any painting with the flowers, it's dramatic painting. Why? Because look at that. We already killed them. And they're so beautiful. They literally like present this to us, this beauty and this moment, and we could see how they're dying. Okay. Yeah. So it's it's really it's so symbolic, it's so beautiful, it's so yeah, it's really like the whole drama is in front of you. So with, um, and again, they all have meaning as well. And so with the fruits and all kind of, and vegetables, of course, mm-hmm. they last a little longer, so I could paint them for much longer time. And then with those bottles, oh, of course, I could paint them again and again and again, which is good for the artists, so they're not changing. Okay. So the idea of making something that's temporary and uh, more permanent through your paintings, that's that's a beautiful sentiment. Is there uh, anything else that you'd like to talk about as far as uh, food or art or um, inspirations? I, I already mentioned that I like to paint all kind of essentials. So, for example, I mean, something what is in the kitchen. So, for example, I did the painting where I have pots and plates and cups, and I had a very beautiful copper teapot, which one my friend gave me. And it was, again, so paint, paint like, uh, you could paint this, really, and you could enjoy all the reflections in that surface, and it's so warm and beautiful. So I put lots of other things with it, which I felt it works, so I paint onion and eggs and garlic because again they all not just beautifully beautiful in harmony and have interesting shape so it's very paintable and it somehow create the environment it's not just oh just the pot just the portrait of the pot no it's my time it's something what is happening now and the same way I love to paint fish I don't do it too often, but the whole fish, when you look at that scale, it's so beautiful, it shines so, again, it's very paintable, and I love to do that as well. So it's the shapes and the colors and then the connection you have with it in your life at that moment that really yeah, sort of inspires you to paint it and and. Um, does that also uh, translate into how you like you're you've been a teacher for almost as long as you've been in El Paso so and you choose still lives a lot to, to teach your students and so is it simply because it's a, a something that you start out with or is it because of also the connections you have with the colors and the the composition um, I think of course it makes sense that I know this well and that's why I could do that and describe that and teach about that But then, of course, it's the simplest way of how you could learn something from reality. And that's the basic from which you could start. But you could learn the shapes, the drawings, the colors, the harmony, the composition. You could do all of this from still life. So that's why it's definitely a good thing to start. And that's why why I'm doing it. 
That's lovely. I mean, is there anything else you'd like to? The artist, it's kind of a lifestyle. It's a philosophy. It's your way of living. And when you hear the expression, the starving artist, well, if you're hungry, you're just hungry. You cannot think about anything else. You're starving for ideas. And then how, maybe you generate thousands of ideas in one minute, but how to express them, how to make them really understandable to the others through the visual thing. And that's where you're starving, and that's what is your experience, your life experience, your learning experience, helping you to be a better artist and really go through your life and feel comfortable and feel like worse of what you're doing. And I would say for the artists in particular, are, of course, the more you read great literature, then more it makes sense for your art as well, and you find more ideas which is deeper, more universal, uh, and it makes you feel better as well. And then also see more art. And again, not kind of statesman, visual art. You want to see visual things which will inspire you. And it could be uh, not even just visual in the museums. You could go on Google Art Project and you could put the name of the artist and you could look at the work and look at them even up close. So you could really study them, how it was done. But museums, of course, great. And our El Paso Museum of Art is very fortunate to have a great crest collection and the early American artists. So it's really a great museum to study art. Mm -hmm. And then really, I would say one more thing along with that. So it was a great artist, French artist of um, 18th century. Uh, and his name was Pierre Chardin. And he paints lots of figures and sceneries with the little figures in there. But he paints lots of still lifes with kind of kitchen corners or some kind of very used old subjects from the kitchen. And what is so fascinating now that he died in 1779, but we could look at the painting and we could see the environment, the time the people lived. So it's really preserved, not just his view on that, but what it was. You might read a book, but if you don't see the illustration, it might not work as well. But this painting is really giving you much more of the idea of what it is, how was the life, what was happening in life. And I would say if the artist would look at their art, that they're creating their world. They're not just screaming all the time. They're presenting something which is meaningful to them, and they would try to do it through their objects they're dealing most in their life. It'll be wonderful. It will really not enrich just them. It enrich the culture where they live, and then it'll be even something left for 100 years. I like that idea, the idea of um, something that involves your everyday life that m some people may think mon is mundane and just, oh, this is a piece of garlic or this is a tea kettle you make tea in and, and then uh, making a more permanent, universal or eternal like 
com commemoration or connection with it via art and creativity. I think uh, that's a very almost sort of cyclical, um, uh, um, beautiful sentiment. So, yeah. Thank you. But yes, everything has some symbolic meaning. And of course, we go through the life and we're asking ourselves the same kind of question, what we live for, why we come. Mm -hmm. And it helps you to realize yourself and do something wonderful. Yeah, well, I certainly think that your, uh, particularly the colors you use in your artwork is always so beautiful and vivid. And I have always attributed that to uh, the still lifes and uh, the the flowers and the, f the fruit and the utensils you've taken from your environment and the way you're able to capture the colors and just sort of bring this like liveliness and luminescence to it is, is very beautiful. So, And it's happening really because I paint them from reality. Because I'll give you an example. Right now we're sitting here and we have this black table. If we would do it from our kind of idea what the black table is, we just paint it black. If we take the photo picture, it'll be some kind of reflections, but really not a lot. And your eye sees so much in there that for me, it's like scientist. I'm discovering that. I'm looking at all of these nuances and shades and colors. So my black table painted from reality will be very different than the one painted otherwise. So you just paint like a pomegranate in real life and not take a picture of a pomegranate or... Yes, it's extremely important. Okay. And that's a problem for me of painting landscape. I paint them from photo picture once in a while, but it's kind of boring because it's kind of a stereotype. You don't really experience it. It's not really feel it. Um, and then the light in reality is changing very quickly. Like you might paint something for one hour outside, but then you need to go away because the sun changed, the light changed, everything changed in the picture. So when the people tell you that they paint something huge and big outside, or they either need to come for the whole month every day for this half an hour and keep painting it, or they're really not doing what is there. It just like a good environment for them to paint what they do. Being in the moment and painting what's in the moment. Yeah, that's... And you really, yes, you really feel something. You experience that. And that's what excites you, and that's why you want to do it. You're like, you cannot stop and not do that. Yeah, I yeah, I always want. I, I didn't know you had grapes in your backyard. That's wow. <laughs> but pomegranate, the pomegranates were always so beautiful and luminescent. And I, I always wondered how you were able to get the color. And now I know it's because you experienced the pomegranate in that moment, and not some paint, not some painting or some picture of of the pomegranate. And that's that's a really beautiful sentiment. Being with the subject in that moment. I never, I've never thought of it that way. That's absolutely beautiful, yes. Thank you, thank you. Yes, I always think that, oh, there is this Garden of Eden. And so I have a few paintings where I combine in all these different fruits. I have a fig tree as well, which is a fascinating thing. Besides everything else, do you know that, that the flower is inside of the fruit? I heard something maybe like I know that <laughs> so, so it's something so amazing and again it's beautiful to paint the leaves are beautiful the fruits are beautiful and it's so ancient it goes back to this mm. 
biblical time. Yeah. So I put all these things together, and again, it gives me even more power because I know it's not something uh, a bubble after the rain. No, it's something what exists forever. Oh. We want to thank once more our guest Luba Titovitz for sharing her knowledge on food and art and art and food, a fascinating El Paso food-based topic. Thank you. El Paso Food Voices was created by Meredith E. Abarca, professor of food studies and literature at the University of Texas at El Paso. Produced by Adrian Mesa from UTEP's Creative Studios. Music composed by Jake Jacobs. To learn more about how food practices, memories, and stories shape a city's history, culture, and its character, please visit us at El Paso Food Voices. Thank you.